0: Numbers chapter number 6, Numbers chapter number 6, you grab your Bibles, you join me as we finish up our... Many study on Samson. We called it a lesson on separation, as we've already seen a couple of weeks ago in Numbers chapter number six. We'll pick up here and see a few things. Children, we'll have the candy out this evening afterwards. So you come see us outside my office there; that'd be great. Or inside the office, that'd be fantastic. And so, listen carefully and see what you pick up this evening. So, two weeks ago, we we looked at it from the standpoint. We looked in Judges. We found out about Samson. We understood that he uh, from the womb. Had a Nazarite vow and uh, the vow of a Nazarene. And so we understood that that was a call to separation unto God and to, uh, from certain things. And in that call to separation, that vow of separation, we we understood a couple things already as we looked in this passage. And first of all, we saw, number one, uh, that he was separated um, from the world's empty sources of joy those things and the Nazarite vow encompass this we saw that in verses three and in following there and uh, uh, some of the things that the world looks to for joy he was separated from and so god was going to be his sole source of joy as god certainly is for each one of us and secondly we saw the, the separation from the world's ultimate uh, pursuit of personal reputation in other words uh, bringing glory to myself and and uh, humility having humility and so uh, that even pictured in the hair that grew. And uh, it was the idea of humbling myself so that it would reflect well on God in that setting of the Nazarene vow. And so I encourage you, if you didn't hear that a few weeks ago, you, you get online and listen to that message. So now this evening, we want to add a third area of separation for Samson, and we find it in verse number six. And it plays well into the story of Samson, as we'll see tonight. Look at verse six of Numbers chapter six. Speaking of the person who took the Nazarite vow, verse 6, all the days that he separateth himself unto the Lord, he shall come at no dead body. Verse 7, he shall not make himself unclean. For his father, his mother, or his brother, or for his sister, when they die, because the consecration of his Lord. Uh, is upon his head. Look at verse 8. All the days of his separation, he is holy unto the Lord. So this plays right into what we're talking about, this idea of separation. He says, okay, you're consecrated to the Lord, so don't touch a dead body, any unclean thing, because you are separated, uh, set apart unto God. And they couldn't go near a dead body, a carcass of an animal, whatever the case may be. So we would put it this way, that dead body represented corruption, defilement. So number three, we would understand this, that thou incorporated a separation from worldly corruption, worldly corruption. We see it again as, as it, uh, uh, pictured here as the need to keep away from that which was, uh, would defile a person. In Old Testament terminology, it was a command to stay away from that which is unclean. We knew uh, certainly that flowed into the New Testament. Those who had leprosy and so forth had to cry out unclean, unclean. A dead thing was, would make you unclean for sacrifices. We can study throughout the Old Testament and we understand that terminology to be unclean. It's interesting, though, as that is the case, and the unclean is the opposite of being holy as presented in this passage. Don't touch a dead body. Uh, Be separated from it. Don't let yourself become contaminated, defiled, corrupted by that dead body. Uh, You remain holy unto the Lord. Now, it's an interesting concept. We are well familiar that in the New Testament, you and I receive a similar command regarding unclean things. In our case, it's things of the world that would defile us, contaminate us, or corrupt us. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter number 6. Paul is writing the church at Corinth, so it is in context of writing to believers, specifically writing to a local assembly of believers that are striving to please God, to be holy, to be a witness for Him in a dark world. 2 Corinthians chapter number 6, verse 17. Again, familiar probably to most of us. Give you a moment to find it, Second Corinthians chapter six. verse number 17. "Wherefore come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord. Touch not the unclean thing. And I will receive you. Now that's a great statement. And and certainly, uh, very much, Paul, being a uh, a studious observer of the Old Testament, would have understood that he's taking this from the Old Testament and he's applying it now to New Testament Christians in a command to the church, the church of Corinth, to keep themselves clean by not touching the unclean thing. He says, come out from among them and be separate. Well, it, it necessitates, who does he mean by them? You talking about dead bodies like Numbers chapter 6? Well no, look up at verse 14. Here's the context for us of the passage. Verse number 14. Be ye not unequally yoked together with, what's the next word? unbelievers okay unbelievers those who don't know god those who aren't his children those who aren't disciples of the lord jesus christ we would say that they are representation or representative of the world uh, certainly that uh that political system or the system opposed uh, uh, to god certainly having uh a little g god the devil and so forth and so on and him being the god of this world and so forth everything that's opposed to god in the world unbelievers being represented of it so we as light we read the passage here, if you were to read, and we won't take the time to do so, from verse 14 all the way down to verse uh, 17 and 18. We, as light, are instructed not to have communion and fellowship with darkness. We, as the temple of the Holy Ghost, cannot have agreement with idols, as Paul writes here. So we can uh, surmise that this passage calls you and I, as believers, to separation from the corruption of the sin-cursed world. So, as much as the Nazareth in the Old Testament was not was to stay away from the the dead body because it was representation or representative of corruption defilement, so don't touch it, stay away from it, so that you can say holy, consecrated to your God. We come to the New Testament, and what does Paul say? God through Paul says this: Touch not the unclean thing. Wherefore, come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord. Don't 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 go rub shoulders with deadness with corruption, with contamination, with defilement. Don't do it. Separate yourselves. Don't be unequally yoked together. Light with darkness. A believer with an infidel. Don't do it. The temple of the Holy Ghost with idols. Don't do it. You be separate, Christian. It's interesting. I told you this last study that as we look at this vow, the the Nazarite vow, it is picturesque of the principle and doctrine of separation that you and I are called to. The Bible in the New Testament tells us time and time again, be ye holy. So be separated. Don't be defiled. Don't be contaminated. Don't allow the the world to impact us in such a way. Let's ask this question here. Let's uh, maybe... What does it mean practically? When Paul writes this passage, he tells you, And wherefore, come out from among them, be ye separate, touch not the unclean thing. He's speaking of unbelievers. He's speaking of the world. What is he practically talking about? Well, number one, it is a call to have no fellowship with the world's unrighteous practices. So whatever the world does in its lost state, in its unregenerate state, in its, its state of not knowing God, not being redeemed, not being a new creature in Christ, what they do, friend, be very careful, because it's likely that you as a Christian ought not to do it. If it goes against the scriptures, if it goes against the teaching of God's word, you and I are not the the Bible here says have no communion with darkness in John chapter three and verse 19. You know what the Bible says that unregenerate man loves? He loves the darkness. You know why he loves the darkness? John chapter three says, because his deeds are evil. His practice, the things that he does, it's evil. He serves himself. He doesn't mind getting into vileness and wickedness and unrighteousness. So be careful. When it calls us to be separate from the world, be careful of their unrighteous practices. The things that they do. Ephesians chapter 5, Paul exhorts us to not have fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness. Say, Pastor Henry. So, what's the principle to take away? Think of it this way: when we talk about the idea of these practices, we should avoid it. We we need to stay away from. You shouldn't have to want to have anything to do. With the things that the world does that puts you in a position to be corrupted or defiled by their practices. If it's unscriptural, if the, as the principle teaches, if it has the appearance of evil, my friend, a Christian should avoid it. Be separate. Wherefore, come out from among you, be ye separate, say the Lord. Don't touch the unclean thing. Don't let it defile you. Don't let it contaminate you. Don't get near it. And isn't it interesting in in the Nazarite vow, he said, not for your brother or sister or mother. If they died, that was the idea. Don't be part of the the, the folks that have to prepare the body for burial. No, don't be contaminated in that way. Can I tell you, we can apply that scripturally to this call in 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Be careful because sometimes family is used of the devil to contaminate you and I with the world. Family influence and pressure to do what they do and, and and to not live a consecrated, dedicated, committed life to Jesus Christ. There may be even some family who call themselves Christians but don't live like it. And they do nothing but compromise with the world time and time again. And then they try to influence you to do that. So be careful, Christian. Be separate, even as the Bible says here. Now notice we will also use this practical um principle of this passage. We are called to have no fellowship with the world's holy, unholy pleasures. Pleasures. Those things that the unregenerate man loves, the darkness, of his deeds that are evil, we are called not to have communion with that. Ephesians chapter five, don't have fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness. It gives us a principle if I can't enjoy a pleasure that the world offers in the light of God's word and with his full approval, then we must consider and uh, summarize that the pleasure is unclean and it ought to be avoided by a Christian so if if I'm looking at something a pleasure that the world offers okay then I I have to hold it up to scriptures that's the first litmus test that's the first filter that I that, that I throw it through and run it through to say okay wait a second is this good for me is it scriptural is it something that matches up to what the scriptures should say oh a Christian yeah that's okay we need to put it through the the filter of appearances of evil okay is this is this good for me to be associated with this pleasure of the world now listen my friend Good. can i can i encourage you about this young person listen to me you got to take these principles and apply them to life across the board a movie that you watch you ought to apply this principle is it something that, wait a minute, is it good for me, this pleasure? I'll tell you, it's, ple- it's, it's pleasurable to watch movies and watch whatever, TV and so forth, sports. But is it then beneficial for me? Is it an agreement with scriptures? Is it helping me to please God? Or is it paving the way, as we'll talk about in a moment what happened to Samson, is it paving the way for you and I to compromise with the world? Now, I'll tell you right now, young person and parents, if your young person does not have enough discretion, you need to be careful with video games too. Video games. The whole slew of video games out there, you've got to be very careful, whether it be the advertisements that pop up in video games or the very premise of the video game. Very premise. Now, let me tell you something. Let me just encourage you. You ought to be careful, parents, of letting your children play video games in which people are killed for fun. I just stepped on a lot of Fortnite toes. If you don't know what it is, come to me, I'll explain that. It ought never to be that you and I exalt a game that kills for pleasure and for fun. Life is sacred to God. God. And anything that fakes it or or rationalizes it okay to gain joy from that is not good. You say, well, oh, Pastor, what's the big deal? At the very least, it will desensitize you to the importance of life and how devastating it is for someone to lose a life. At the very least. Uh, there are multiplicity of games in many different ways that you have to be aware of, parent. Let's take it a step further. You know, you ought to be careful. You ought to be careful at the pages on Facebook, the, those who you follow on Twitter and Instagram, what they have on their pages. What they show on their Instagram, what they show on their Twitter, because it is indirectly connected to you. And there are appearances of evil that you don't want to have anything to do with. You don't want to be connected with that. You want to say, wait a minute, I'm supposed to be separate from that. Wherefore, come out from among them and be you separate. And so sometimes it causes us to have to unfriend someone. It causes us to say, we can't be connected socially on social media because some of the things you have on your Facebook or some of the things you post on Instagram, I don't want to have anything to do with. And I'll tell you, my friend, the devil wants Christians who compromise. Because compromise is then going to open you up to have little spiritual power and little victory spiritually. Just look at Samson. We'll see it tonight. The Bible calls us to separation. Light has no communion or fellowship with darkness. Be careful. Be careful. These pleasures and these things that we have in front of us, we've we got to hold them up to the Scriptures. We've got to hold them up to righteousness and what God says in His Word through principles. We've got to hold them up to the Holy Spirit in, in us. We ought to listen to the Holy Spirit and say, Holy Spirit, is this good for me to be a part of? I do think so often we neglect the ministry of the Holy Spirit indwelling us. He is there to guide us into all truth. And he can certainly help in this area. You know, number three, we are called to have no fellowship with the world's godless view of profitability. The world's godless view of profitability. Verse 15 says, what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? See, here's the biblical acknowledgement that the believer, now don't miss this. Young person, please don't miss this. An adult, don't miss this. Here's the scripture saying a believer and an unbeliever are diametrically opposed. They don't go together. It is an unequal yoking. Think of it. If I were to, uh, if I were to take uh a a horse and let's just say a a regular size a pretty good sized horse whatever you a Clydesdale there's a good one yeah let's say we take a Clydesdale horse here and we were going to yoke him up to a wagon and we put uh uh, that dog or that horse there and then we decide let's get something else to pair with it and um well let's put a dog with it and we got a, a miniature schnauzer and we put in a yoke with a Clydesdale horse now that might go viral. I just tell you that right now. Okay, it might go. But we put it in the same thing. Well, that's never going to work. Yeah, this slides and You have this miniature snail. That's ne- that's so unequally yoked. Well, can I tell you? God in heaven says that when you and I have fellowship and communion with an unbeliever, with the world, we are unequally yoked. They're diametrically opposed in our endeavors, in our aspirations. In our valuation of what is profitable and in the definition of what is the ultimate goal, the purpose of life. See, we can say this, the unbeliever serves himself or the almighty dollar. His ultimate success is measured by whether or not he gets to do whatever he wants you talk to joe Smo, who walks down the street i I just want to i just want to earn enough money to enjoy life and and eventually i want to retire i want to go to the golf course i want to go boating i want to go do this and boy, i just want to get the most out of life i want to get to the point where i don't have to worry about uh, finances i don't do this hey the world does not value what you and i ought to value We are to be separate from the world in our evaluation of what is profitable. See, for the believer, we are to serve God in everything. We're to have the ultimate goal of what brings God the most glory. And my friend, when those two things are true. You have a believer who's serving self, the Almighty Dollar, whose ultimate goal is to get whatever he wants. You have, that's an unbeliever, you have a believer who says, no, no, no I, I want to live for God. My life and my goal's purpose here on earth is to serve God and it is to bring him glory in whatever I do. My friend, those two people are living in two different kingdoms. Two different worlds. They're diametrically opposed. You take an unbeliever, What's an unbeliever doing? Well, an unbeliever is living... Well, let me back up. Let's go to the believer. You know what a believer is doing? He is living in God's kingdom. He is working hard to enlarge and promote God's kingdom. In God's name. You take an unbeliever. What's an unbeliever doing? Well, an unbeliever is living in his own kingdom. A kingdom of his own making. He works hard to enlarge and promote himself, his interest, through making his kingdom his number one concern. So you tell me, how can these two thoughts and these two philosophies ever be in harmony? If one is living for themselves and is living to promote their own kingdom, to expand it and enlarge it, and the other one says, no, no, this life is all about God's kingdom, God's name, enlarging and, and making his name known. My friend, There's no likeness there. There's nothing in common. As the Bible says, there's no fellowship. There's no communion. There's no harmony. It is not present. And is it no wonder that the Bible is pretty clear that when it comes to things like marriage, when it comes to things like even business, where both are trying to make decisions, a believer and an unbeliever ought not to be yoked together. Hey, young person, listen to me. If the Bible says it clearly, you ought not to marry an unsaved person, don't date them. Don't look at them. Look within your own kingdom. Somebody who says, wait a minute, I'm not living for that profitability, I'm living for this. This is what life is all about. This is the teaching of this passage that lies before us. See, these things can never enjoy communion. These these two can never enjoy fellowship. It's not possible. So don't be unequally yoked. Come out from among them and be separate. Because guess what? You start making your best friends an unbeliever in the world, and you start making your pleasures and your practices, you gain those from the world, you're unequally yoked. And you've opened the door and you've paved the way for compromise that's going to steal and eliminate and drain your spiritual strength for living. It's going to take your power. We see it in Samson's life. You know, a saint of old had this rule. He often articulated it when it came to knowing, okay, so pastor, we're supposed to be separated. How do I know that? How do I practically know the things of the world that I need to separate from and the things that, I, that, that could defile me and corrupt me? I like this statement. It's certainly not all-encompassing, but he made this statement. Anything that dims my vision of Christ or takes away my taste for studying the Bible or cramps my prayer life or makes Christian work difficult is wrong for me. And as a Christian, I must turn away from it. It's a Pretty good statement. It just says, okay, here's how I'm looking. Here's how I'm evaluating that pleasure, that practice, that thing in the world, that thing that could distract. Wait a minute. If it doesn't, if it takes away from my purpose and the kingdom that I am living, the kingdom of God, then wait a second. That's not for me. I need to be separated from it. I need to be distinct and I need to allow that not to contaminate me and affect me. Now listen to me. Pastor, I still struggle with knowing what should I separate from. Is that good for me? Is that good for me? Is this good for me? Is this not good for me? Can I tell you, I sure am grateful this evening that we have the two greatest assets from God that we need for discernment and discretion that we get to employ in this area of separation. It is the Holy Bible and it is the Holy Spirit. With those two things, it makes a difficult task of knowing what to separate from, what is unclean and what is clean, it makes it an easy task. See, let me put it this way, and I think this is a good statement, and young person and all of us as Christians, we ought to get a hold of it, notice it. If I am saturated with the Word of God and I am sensitive to the Spirit of God, I will have no problem knowing the will of God. If I am saturated with the word of God, it is soaked into me and I am in it. I know it and I'm studying it and I'm sensitive and listening to the Holy spirit. Then I'll tell you, my friend, it is not a difficult thing to know the will of God. It's an easy thing because boy, I have God's word. I have God's spirit working in me to help me apply and know and learn the word of God. Pretty simple. When it comes down to it, not only the area of separation, but in everything else. But listen to me and listen to me carefully. Here's the problem. Here's where we often get ourselves into trouble. You need to make sure that it's God's word. It's not yours and it's not someone else's word that has saturated you. Now, listen to me. Too much junk is on the Internet. There's too many false teachers and false prophets on the Internet. Google and YouTube are full of them. So be careful whose word you are saturated with. Not just the internet, but there are sometimes we allow friends and other people's voices to be the word that we are saturated with. Be careful. Make sure it's God's word. Make sure it's the spirit of God that you are sensitive to and listening to, not your own spirit. Make sure you haven't. The Bible says don't, don't deceive yourselves. All of us have known Christians. I prayed about it. I just know that this is what God's want. And you and I can point to Scripture and say, that's not what God wants. (laughs) They've deceived themselves. They've listened to their own spirit. Or, worst case scenario, they've listened to an evil spirit. Make sure it's the spirit of God you're listening to. Make sure it's the will of God that you're following. Make sure it's the will of God you're following. Not the will of yourself and your old nature. Not the will of another person that you apparently value more than God. Make sure that you are following God's will. You see, separation is described here in this passage as the Nazarite vow was a picture of the New Testament saints. Separation is one of the keys that unlocks God's full blessing in a believer's life samson experienced that from the womb he was a Nazarite by vow and god's hand was upon him the holy spirit empowered him to do mighty things we'll read a verse here in a moment where that is stated and, and explained so god's hand was upon samson for a short time and i'll tell you the principle applies here as well as it does anywhere else whatever a man sows that shall he reap if you sow separation in your daily living, you're going to reap the blessings of God in the hand of God upon your life. It's all through the scripture. So be holy. Come out from among them and be separate. Don't let the world influence you. Don't let it uh, wear you down. Don't let it bring you to compromise. Be separate. Now, here's something else or somewhere else that uh, Samson is an example to us, a negative in which Samson teaches us. The quickest way to fail in our living and service for the Lord is to compromise in areas of separation. See, the quickest way to fail, the quickest way to spiritually fall on your face is to compromise in the areas of separation. Turn back with me to Judges chapter 14. We'll go back to this story part of of the story of, uh, obviously, Samson here. Judges chapter number 14. This will be the last book that we turn to. We'll look at a couple different verses here. Judges chapter 14. We'll look here at verse number one. As we understand that Samson gives us a great example. (laughs) You compromise in the area of separation that's going to affect you. Judges chapter one, look at chapter 14, excuse me, verse number one. Judges 14, verse number one. And Samson went down to Timnath and saw a woman in Timnath of the daughters of the Philistines. Now, this marked in this chapter the beginning of the end for Samson, as we might put it. It was speaking geographically. When the Bible says that Samson went down, it's um, speaking geographically, but boy, it sure does uh, describe well his descent into the failure of compromise with the world. He failed, as we know in his life, he failed to remain separated into God. From this passage on forward, guess what? He becomes chummy with the Philistines. What do we know the Philistines often represent? The world. Unbelievers. He left undone his God-given task, and he turned his back on his calling. Can I warn you this evening, Christian? The fact is this. Young person, to be chummy with the world will lead you to failures in separation and compromise with corruption. You start being friends with the world, and you start falling after their pleasures and the places that they go, and you start enjoying everything about the world. And you say, "I, I don't see what's wrong with it. I don't think I don't have to be separate from it. I can live in the world and still be a Christian, and so forth." My friend, I'll tell you, friendship with the world is enmity with God. Scriptures say it. And it's going to lead. It's going to hurt you. You're going to be contaminated and you're going to be compromised. Notice this. I want you to see his compromise with the Philistines. Our compromise with the world will lead to contamination. Contamination. Look at verse number 8 of the same chapter, Judges 14. And after a time, he returned to take her. That's the one spoken of in verse one. And he turned aside to see the carcass of the lion. This was the lion that he had killed on his way down to Timnath before. You can certainly see that, um, in verse, oh, um, verse number five and six. Okay. And uh, that lion, young lion roared against him and so forth. And spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him. And he rent him as he would have rent a kid. And he had nothing in his hands. So now we come to verse 8. He's returning to it, the carcass of the lion. Then behold, there was a swarm of bees and honey in the carcass of the lion. He took thereof in his hands, touching a dead animal, a carcass, an unclean thing, and came to his father and mother. He gave them, and they did eat. And he told not them that he had taken the honey out of the carcass of the lion. You know what he'd done wrong? It's clear he had. And he, he, he did it. He certainly disobeyed God. He had killed the lion obviously first time. The Spirit of the Lord had enabled him to do so. It's a wonderful example of the hand of the Lord upon Samson. A blessing that flowed from his position of separation unto God and from corruption. But now in verse 8, he touches it. The unclean carcass of the lion that dead body that a Nazarite was not supposed to touch, and he ate of the honey found in the body of the animal. Now, can I tell you, I am sure all of the rationalizations that our flesh can offer in the midst of a sinful act flooded his mind. As he's touching the body, I don't see anything wrong with this. You ever hear a Christian say that about the world? I don't see anything wrong with this. What's the problem? I, I, it's not affecting me. I don't see how it's hurting me. I, it's not that big of a deal. Look, I'm still the same person. I haven't changed because I do that or, or I, I haven't been separated from that. I'm still okay. Hey, hey, God didn't strike me down, so it must be okay. Could you imagine what Samson walked away with with his rationalization? I mean, this honey. Man, it sure does taste good. And the devil's whispering in Samson's ear. See what you've been missing? And boy, I'll tell you, my friends, when people flirt, when Christians flirt with the world, you better believe Satan's there whispering in their ear. See what you missed? See, God's wrong. There's no need for you to be separated. There's no reason for you not to touch this. I like this statement as I was studying. Someone made this statement about this rationalization that happens. He said this, and I like this. How easy it is to rationalize sin when honey is melting in your mouth. It's a good statement, isn't it? It's from this story. Samson's walking down. He's eating. Man, this isn't that bad. Why can't I touch a a dead body? I mean, that's a ridiculous idea of separation. What's the big point? What? I don't And don't we sometimes get tempted to rationalize like that? Doesn't the devil come along and say, ah, what's the big deal of being separated? What's the big deal? Of separation. My goodness, how many questions would have come up? And what happens? Through this, you can kind of see the domino effect. Samson has contaminated himself through compromise. He's contaminated. He is now defiled. He is now corrupted. And can I tell you, when you start down the path of compromise and you begin to get tainted, contaminated, defiled, corrupted, it just continues. It just continues. And so it is here for Samson. We need to be careful in our lives with compromise with the world that leads to contamination compromise with the world that leads to contamination as even samson demonstrated you know what this compromise also did it led to concession to give up something valuable to concede something look at judges chapter 16 look at verse number 17 judges 16 verse 17 now we are introduced to delilah he's there in her lair if i may put it such Notice verse 17. He's speaking of Samson to Delilah. And he told her all his heart. And said unto her, there hath not come a razor upon my head. For I have been a Nazarite unto God from my mother's womb. If I be shaven, then my strength will go for me. And I shall become weak and be like any other man. Verse 18, just the first part. And when Delilah saw that he had told her all his heart. And I'll tell you, my friend, that's a pretty big concession, isn't it? He conceded a lot. So, my well, man, and we, we step back and we read this. And, and I, for one, I, I think Delilah was an agent of the devil. She was conniving. She wore down Samson. We know that. It leads to this moment where Samson concedes the source and symbol of his strength. And we look at it saying, man, how foolish How crazy could Samson be to let her know that? How in the world could he do that? You know how he can do that? Compromise and getting too close to the corrupting force of the world has that effect on you. You concede your strength. You say, wait a minute, as a Christian, my strength is found in my separation, my holy living, making sure that God's Word and the Holy Spirit are directing and guiding me. And when I concede that, I give it up because I want friendship with the world. I want to be chummy with the world. My friend, can I tell you, you concede the power to live godly. You give up the ability for you and I to please God in how we live. And my goodness, does Samson pay for it? How did he get to that point? Notice it. You know what compromise does? It wears you down. The world wears us down to the point where we concede our spiritual strength. And we concede the power that is found in holy living. Consecrated living. Resist the devil and he's going to flee from you. Be empowered by God. Live the life that God has called you to live. And there's power found in holy, separated living. The Bible's clear. It's why we are called to a life of separation. Why? Because God knows if you and I rub shoulders with the world, what's going to happen? It's going to wear us down. If I keep submitting myself to the corruption, the contamination, and I allow it to infiltrate me, I become desensitized to it, and eventually, guess what? I concede to that. I think one of the greatest examples in my own personal life that I have seen over time is back in Franklin, Indiana, growing up in our church there, New Life Baptist Church. And I remember as a young lad, uh, junior high and so forth, I had friends who went to public school and those friends were involved in sports and everything else. And I remember the day when Franklin High School and middle school in Franklin, Indiana, they would not do sports on Wednesday night and they would not do sports on Sunday. A public high school. And I remember this. They had a parents meeting. It teaches me as far as I understand. And in that or board meeting or something. And then they said, you know what? We just too much sports we've just got too much going on and and we've got to have another day so you know what we'll we'll take Wednesday but we're going to leave Sunday clear we're going to make sure that that's clear and so they did that and so all of a sudden practices started on Wednesday and then games came along on on Wednesday night and and Christians didn't speak up they didn't say much they kind of just conceded it because what we want sports we want to play we want our kids to be involved in in the high school and it's events and everything and then sure enough not more than a few years later guess what sports are every day of the week every day of the week and hardly a squeak or a peep from Christians. Can I tell you what? Not being separate from the world. In our thinking and in our actions. And, say, and not say, okay, wait a minute. Whoa, the world's crossed the line there. We're done. That's it. I'm not going to compromise. I'm not going to be contaminated. I'm not going to allow the world to wear us down. And my friend, the world is out to wear you and I down. They want there to be absolutely no separation, no difference between you and me and them. They don't like the reality that what separated living does in condemnation of how they live unto themselves. They don't like that. And my friend, Samson is a great example that God does indeed know what is best. He knows what's best for us as His children. We ought to never forget that. A separated... Young person, listen to me carefully. A separated life is a protected life. A separated life is an uncompromising life. And a separated life is a blessed life. Now, the saddest part of the story by far is verse number 20, isn't it? Look at it. Verse 20 of Judges chapter 16. And she said... uh, that defiler Delilah, the Philistines be upon thee, Samson. And he woke out of his sleep, and I will go out as other times before and shake myself. And he wist not that the Lord was departed from him. Hmm. Here's the awful result of compromise that leads to contamination and concession. We lose the power of the presence of God, and we don't even realize it. We think we're hunky-dory and everything's fine as we're flirting with the world, as we are in bed with the world, we're friendship with the world, and we don't even realize the power of the presence of God that's missing from our lives. We might put it this way. Sadly, the same story is often repeated in the lives of Christians. Instead of being separated from the world, we flirt with the world. We experiment with compromise in little ways, but the result is always the same. It paralyzes our spiritual strength and it drains the power for living victoriously. Boy, compromise costs big, friend. Furthermore, flirting with the world through compromise leads to a weak and a worldly church that God wants nothing to do with except to chasten and purify. It's true. Even if I wrote it. You see, my friend, when we, as Christians, we aren't separated, we compromise, we concede, and we are contaminated with the world, and then we gather together as Christians, and we are tainted, we are contaminated, we are corrupted, we are defiled, because we have not been separated from the world during the week. My friend, you know what we just created? A worldly church. In a weak church. And Revelation, the first few chapters, is very clear what God's perspective is on a worldly church. In a weak church. So the impetus is on you and I, Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and Saturday and Sunday, to live separated living. Separated lives. Not touching the unclean thing. Coming out from among the world and being separate. Not touch, not allowing it to defile us, to corrupt us, to affect us in any way. Not going down the road of compromise that leads to contamination, then concession. But protecting the bride. Ensuring that you and I are exactly what God would have us to be. Could I ask you this evening, where in your life is the world and the devil wearing you down so you will concede your spiritual strength? There's a multiplicity of ways the world's going to wear you and I down. Why have convictions? You don't need to live by convictions. Why do you care about reading the Bible? What's the big deal about going to church? Why, why are you, why, why is it such a big deal that, that you're always honest? Can I tell you the world's going to try to wear us down? The devil's going to try to wear us down. So where is it? Where are you being attacked by the world and the devil? Where has it worn you down in an area of compromise to the point that you've made concessions and thereby drained your power to live victoriously? The world wants you to think with their entertainment, their pleasures, there's nothing wrong with it. That game, that, that, that social media page and, and that movie and this, the world wants to convince you and I, that's okay, it's not a big deal. It's not gonna impact you. It's not gonna influence you. And all the time, the devil knows your power spiritually is draining. Draining. And then we wonder, man, I just I, 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 just can't get over this discouragement. I can't get over this depression. And I I can't, boy, this thing just, if this happens, it ruins my day. And, and my spirit is just overcome. And I, I just can't seem to, to win the battle against this sin over here. And I can't have victorious living. And we wonder why. And the basic reality is this. We've compromised. We're contaminated. We've conceded things. And we have no power in our holy living and separated living to have victorious living. See, my friend, God was a wonderful designer. When he said that I'm going to come, Jesus Christ is going to come. He's not going to die on a cross. He's going to free you from the penalty of sin, as we talked about this morning. He's going to free you from the power of sin. And in that freedom from the power of sin, as you and I follow God's word, we yield to the Holy Spirit. We have daily power for living. I can in turn do all things through Christ with strength of me. I can resist the devil. I can flee from temptation. And I can fight the spiritual battle with power. But boy, I start chumming up with the world. I start compromising and boy, the world sticks on me. I'm contaminated and I concede some things in my life. Woohoo. That power quickly dissipates. And can I tell you, you know what happened to Samson? Oh, it gets worse. This compromise not only led to contamination, to concession, but this compromise led to captivity. Captivity. Look at verse 21 with me, if you will. But the Philistines took him. That's Samson. He put out his eyes and brought him down to Gaza and bound him with fetters of brass. And he did grind in the prison house. This is probably the second saddest story or verse of the story, isn't it? A Nazarite separated unto God for a great work to be a great testimony. He was called to be a judge for the entire nation of Israel. He was a mighty man. But what did compromise that led to contamination and concession, what did it bring as the outcome of Samson's life? He's a captive. He's a captive. He's under someone else's rule. May I put it this way in blunt? Yes, but it's reality. He himself even told it to Delilah. He was an ordinary man. No different than any other person. He had no strength. He had no sight. And he had no service for anyone else but the Philistines. And the Philistines, as we have said, represents the world. It was the ultimate humiliation. Gone was the mighty man of Israel. In his place, a shell of what he used to be. Useless for the cause of Christ. He was even unable to care for himself. You remember in the rest of the chapter, what happens when he enters that temple? Who's leading him? A boy. A boy. My, how the mighty has fallen. How did it happen? How did the mighty man known as Samson come to a point where he's he's blind, he can't see, he has hardly any strength, and he's of no service to the Israelites. He's not fulfilling what God called him to do, and he's being led by a Philistine boy. Compromise. Lack of separation, fulfillment of his Nazarite vow. It all led to this point where now he is a captive. My friend, this evening, from the story of Samson, don't you dare tell me that the lack of separation from the world and unbelievers, as God commands, doesn't cost a child of God. Don't tell me that compromise in any form won't cost a Christian. Don't tell me that a Christian can't be contaminated by the world, that a Christian can't be worn down by the world and the things of the world to the point where they concede things. Don't tell me that a Christian can't become a captive to the world by his choice of compromise with the world. It does happen. It will happen. And the better question is this, is it happening to you? Are you the New Testament version of Samson? You've been called to separation, Second Corinthians chapter 6, and whether it be through social media, the pleasures, whatever the places of the world, you've gotten chummy with the world. You've allowed some of its philosophies and the things that you know, as a believer, you ought to be separated from, but you eh, kind of rationalize, you reason, that eh, it's not that big of a deal. It's not affecting me. I can watch that. It's not, I can listen to that music. It's not a big deal. I can have those friends that, that don't love God, that don't put him first. It's not affecting me. Christian, it is affecting you. And you may not see it, but it is compromised. And compromise leads the contamination, and it leads the concession. And if you don't change it, if you don't confess it, if you don't come back to God, my friend, you'll be a captive of the world. And sad to say, most of us probably know some Christians who are captive to the world. They're of little use to God. They've lost their spiritual strength. They've lost their spiritual sight. And they're being led around. By the world. Can I tell you friend. It ought not to be so. But there is. One good note at the end of the story. Isn't there? Look at verse 28. And Samson called unto the Lord. He's there in that temple. That house full of Philistines. He called unto the Lord and said. O Lord God remember me I pray thee. Strengthen me I pray thee. Only this once O God. That I may be at once avenged of the Philistines. For my two eyes. Isn't it comforting to know that no matter how much you and I have compromised with the world, no matter how deeply we've been contaminated, no matter how much we have conceded, there's no situation of compromise that God cannot redeem us from. That he cannot forgive when we turn to him in repentance and faith. Would you seriously ask this evening? Would you say, uh, "Would you say, Father, where have I compromised, Lord? I'm willing. If you'll show me, uh, make sure see search." And see, is there an area in my life where I have left off the principle, the doctrine of separation from the world? I have become a friend of the world. I've allowed the world to infiltrate my life, my thinking, and my passions. I've allowed it to get... Would you ask then? Would you say, okay, Holy Spirit, I'm going to listen to you. And I'm going to allow the Word of God. Not argue with the Word of God. Not try to reason with the Word of God and the Holy Spirit. But you will listen tonight. You say, hey, Father... You show me, if I've compromised, well, I don't want to be contaminated, I don't want to concede things, and I certainly don't want to be a captive of the world, but I want to be separated. Would you ask that tonight? As we go to invitation, would you say, okay, Lord, I, 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 I don't want to be a Samson, I, I don't want to be a modern Samson. The good news is, if you and I will repent, if the Lord reveals and it says, hey, listen, there's some things on that television you've been watching, that's that's worldly. That's not helping you as a believer. Hey, there's this friend in your life, and that's, they, listen, they're not a good influence on you. They they think of, the, they're living for this kingdom, and, and yes, you can be an acquaintance and you can witness to them, but you've allowed them to influence what you think. You've allowed them to uh, to infiltrate you. Maybe your social media, you followed some things, and, oh, yeah, you're looking in afar. It's not on your page, but it's on somebody else's. And you've allowed it to to come in. You haven't separated yourself. Hey, young person, maybe it's a video game. And in all honesty, the Holy Spirit has pricked your heart about a video game that you know, you know, does not please him. It's not in accordance with the Scripture. Can I tell you this, my friend? The great news of this end of the story is this. You're never too far gone for God to redeem you. Forgive you. And say, okay, let's get back on the right path. Now listen to me, though. Listen to me. You'll still suffer the consequences. See, this story, Samson dies. Oh, God gives him the strength. And in the end, he is the judge. He is the deliverer of Israel. But reality is you will always have the scars from compromise. So there's some here this, this evening, and we need to pray. Father, I don't think I've compromised, but Lord, I don't want to go down that path. H- help me to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. Help me to stay in your word, and, and help me to allow. Uh, I don't want to get anywhere close, so Father, keep me honest. Help me every step of the way in my life to stay clear, to stay separated. It'd be a great prayer for every young person here to pray. Father, I want to be a separate, a separated, consecrated, holy Christian help me. Lord, I don't want to be a Samson. I don't want to get anywhere close. I don't want to become friends with the world. I don't want anybody to turn my heart away from you. Father, help me this evening. I don't want to start down the path. And I truly believe that as you and I pray such a prayer, that God's going to honor it. He's going to bless it. And he's going to give us the power to do that. Christian, how is it for you tonight? Where are you at in this area of separation?